Here it is. Again. And it's cold. I believe that the music I heard is a killer. It's a killer of hope. It's a killer of spirit. And Devo plays for Muffy's party. We bring you an act. They'll just boggle your mind. The Mystic Knights of the Oingo Boingo. Let's go! Hey, everybody. I'm Joseph. And I'm Rob. Are you sure about that? Yeah. <laughs> you sound sure. a little unsure. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm, I was Rob earlier. I'm Rob right now. <laughs> Welcome to a bonus episode of Deep Dives and Deep Cuts, the history of punk, post-punk and new wave, 1976 to 1986. So, um, this is going to be sort of, sort of a wild and woolly episode. We are, we are winging this sucker. Um, I think we should say right off at the top, last episode we promised that we had a very special bonus episode coming up. This is not that. <laughs> just, this ain't Just it. to get it clear. In fact, we're kind of mostly doing this just to test out an, a new recording routine on the technical end um so we may not even air this but um but since we had to test it out anyways um we thought we'd go ahead and record an episode and just see how it went so um this is going to be a uh a fairly funky affair it quite could quite possibly be for serious listeners only. However, unlike the uh, December bonus episode, this is going to have a fair amount of music. Because what we're going to do is we are going to talk about the solo careers of the members of the Cars. So, of course, we had the the Cars deep dive last episode. And really, every member of the Cars, except for the drummer, released at least one solo album. So we are going to um, go through that. Now, the setup... Yeah, go ahead. Well, I I was just going to say that uh, you mentioned their solo careers last episode... And uh, it quite yep. surprised me. So <laughs> dipping into their their solo music, I I have no idea where I was when this was happening. But <laughs> all of them had at you least know, one I, album. <laughs> I I think you had to be a pretty a pretty serious seriously aggressive Cars fan, yeah, to have this stuff on your radar. Yeah. Um, I kind of had some of it. But it was kind of whatever whatever I came across was by accident. Yeah. We can get into that. But um, well. so typically for an episode, we both Rob, both you and I really do our research on all of all of the albums we're to discuss. Right. We should make it clear right from the top that's not true for this episode. Nope, Basically, it didn't happen at all. <laughs> yeah, I went 
and I did the research. I put together the playlist, sent it to Rob. Rob, you've listened to these songs a couple of times, mm -hmm. and that's kind of it, right? Yeah, you you haven't gone and listened to any of the full albums? No, no, just the, just the music you sent me. Yeah, so I'm sort of going to guide you through this as Boy. as we go. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, speaking of this music, typically at the top of the show, we talk uh, about how excited we are about the playlist and how awesome the playlist is. I think we need to manage expectations <laughs> about this playlist. Because as we mentioned in the last episode... Uh, the cars are a great example of the whole being greater than the sum of its parts. Um, yeah. And yeah. some of the solo stuff we're going to listen to is a little spotty. And so <clears throat> I think we might be, um, we might sound a little derisive. I will probably sound a little derisive um, <laughs> a couple of spots. So right off the top, as always, I got to put out the caveat that um, <clears throat> we are going to be talking about really talented, really skilled musicians. Um, you know, but I don't, I don't know that I would call any of the albums we're going to talk about today great, but making a great album is nearly impossible. You yeah. know, you, you have to be, to do it, I mean... There is only one David Bowie. There is only one Kate Bush, right? I mean, uh, for, for the most part, the only way that great albums get done is the right mix of the right type of of super talented, super skilled musicians yeah. playing and, off of each other. Yeah, and where where there's only one David Bowie and one Kate Bush. There's a million bands out there who are still trying to make it. And they may be wonderful bands, but you know, it, it takes all the right, all the right things to click it just the right way. Right. Well, my, my point being that, that most great music doesn't come from just one mind, that right? Is it, sure. it, it comes from the right. That's why so many great musicians, are in a band that does really well and then they break up and they form other bands that don't really take off yeah. because it's there's still great great talented skilled musicians they just aren't working they don't have the right dynamics to yeah, for absolutely. greatness and um, so I, I think that this is this is going to be pretty edifying to hear because you can hear as you as you listen to these these cuts, um, you can hear little elements of what makes the cars great. But without the other elements, it's kind of it's good, competent music that maybe isn't so great. Um, we are also going to just talk about, this is our, our kind of catch-up episode where we get to talk about some stuff that we've been wanting to talk about for a while, but just had to keep cutting it out because, um, <laughs> you know, I, yeah. we always go over. So 
this is our we get to play cleanup in this episode and and finally get to some of the stuff that we we want to get to um okay well let's listen to i think rob maybe what we'll do is we'll listen to a a couple of songs and then we'll take a break from talking about the car solo stuff and and tackle a different subject and then go back and let's do a couple more songs how does that sound to you that sounds great yeah let's do it okay um and we will go we will be going in chronological order so of course that starts us off with uh rick okasik's debut solo album called beatitude uh or beatitude however you want to pronounce it it's he's uh he's obviously playing off of the words attitude and beat um it was released in 1982 this was during one of the cars hiatuses um there was a minor single off of this it got a little bit of airplay i think i think it it got maybe hit the lower part of the hot 100 here in the states i wasn't even aware that he had a solo album out until i just happened to see a video for this song called something to grab for um and uh let's see what else can we say about this album um Greg Hawks, the keyboardist from the Cars, uh, is plays keyboards on most of these songs, and actually he he plays keyboards for most of Rick Ocasek's um, solo stuff. Oh, interesting. Cool. Um, so you have only heard one song. I assume you've only heard one song off of this album. That's that's the song I put on the playlist called Prove. Oh yeah. What what, what are your general thoughts about this song um it to to me i was a little disappointed in the fact that it didn't quite live up to my expectations a bit um Mm -hmm. i was hoping Mm -hmm. for and and i've heard rick okasek do some solo stuff for other things you know this was to me kind of uh i i i don't know i want to say like it felt like a a, f- a freshman venture, you know, like he's just getting going. Mm. I mean, obviously he's he's mm-hmm. talented and he's good, but it didn't. I, I guess I was expecting something a little closer to, you know, to the cars. Um, and, and obviously it wasn't. Yeah. Well. Um, well, let's actually listen to the song first, and then okay. we can talk a little bit more about it. Um, it's a song called Prove.
Now, the reason why I picked this song is because I think it's probably the funkiest that you're ever going to hear Rico Kasich. And I just thought that was kind of interesting. In general, when it comes to Rick, Ricky O's um, solo stuff, I find it all pretty bland. Um, yeah. And so... But so my dilemma was when I was picking the songs, do I pick a song that is a, a representative, a good, good representative of what most of the songs sound like off of the album? And then that leaves us with a really bland playlist. Or do I pick the most interesting song off of the album, which is which is kind of more the anomaly? And I decided... Well, I don't want to listen to a bunch of really bland stuff. So it should be known with the Rick Ocasek stuff. Um, if you like what you hear during this episode, you might be a little disappointed when you go and listen to the rest of the albums because um, most of his stuff is is pretty sedated, unambitious. Um you know what it reminds uh, his solo stuff reminds me of is sort of maybe like a great artist his notebook where he does doodles mm-hmm. so these these albums sound to me like Rick Ocasek doodles oh yeah you know of course that was 1982's uh, Beatitude um Rick Ocasek's debut album uh, in 1983, Greg Hawks, the keyboardist, releases a solo album of his own. Um, unfortunately, this album is not available on Spotify, so you will have to, if you want to listen to the full song, you'll have to find it someplace else. I think, Rob, both you and I listened to it on YouTube, yeah. right? Yeah, YouTube. Almost all instrumentals, there are, I think there are two songs where there's some vocals and it's really just kind of repeating like one or two lines over and over again. Um, This album sounds very 1983. In fact, I was kind of scratching my head about, well, why did, why was Greg Hawks the second Cars member to release a solo album? And I thought... Well, I wonder when Beverly Hills Cop came out because, you know, the theme song was so big because oh, yeah. uh, that, that that kind of reminds me of a lot of the stuff off of um, Greg Hawk, Hawk's album. Did I mention the title of the album? Niagara Falls. Uh, but no, Beverly Hills Cop came out in 1984. So, so that wasn't it. But... If you like the themes, I think it's called Axel's theme, right? The the big kit from Beverly Hills Cop. If you like that, and if you like a lot of the soundtrack music from that that you hear on Stranger Things, this this album has a real like Stranger Things vibe to it. So if you like that kind of music, um, you might really dig it. 
the song I picked to listen to is the title track called Niagara Falls. Did, did you like this? It's kind of a catchy it, it little was, yeah. ditty, you know, isn't it? I, I felt like it was okay. Um, I I kind of enjoyed the moodiness of it, really. Um, but to me, it, yeah. it still kind of feels like a TV or movie soundtrack, you know, music. Yeah. Um, or like yeah. Sc- score in the background, you know, kind of. So, yeah. But yeah, it was cool. Instrumentals, even like an album full of instrumentals from a really accomplished or you know good musician, and Joe Satriani, you know, made scores of albums where it's just him playing guitar, and uh, you know it's it's dynamic, it's good stuff. Um, but Greg Hawks, I and I won't complain about this album. What I will say is, I'm not big on listening to an entire album of, of just instrumental music, you know, um, I have, I mean, I've got scores and I've, I've got music that's just in, instrumental, but to me, this like eighties sound, I, I kind of want some vocals with it generally. Yeah. Well, I don't feel like the album holds up as a whole. I think it gets old pretty fast, but I got to say this might be, the song that I enjoy listening to the most of mm-hmm. the songs that we're going to hear today oh, okay. um, from, from the cars members. Um, I, I just, there's, there's something very fun about this album. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, excuse me. Something very fun about this song yeah, that I, yeah. I really, I really kind of dig. Um, so great this is this is Greg Hawk's really his only solo album kind of. Um so in the last ten or fifteen years he's <laughs> you have no idea what I'm gonna say here. You no. couldn't guess this in a thousand years. He has released a couple of ukulele albums. Wow. So, okay. <laughs> yeah. So, so there's one of Christmas songs and one of of the Beatles songs. Well, we know so that if, we, we know that he can uh, that he's you know kind of he can play the the range of instruments because he played bass on the later uh, Cars album. So you know he can go from keyboard yep. to bass to ukulele. Why not? <laughs> to flute. Oh. I'm gonna let I'm gonna drop something else on you. <laughs> okay. Before before the cars, he played flute 
in Martin Mole's band. You know Martin oh, yeah. Mole, the the comedian. Yeah, yeah. He he played flute for Martin Mole, so. Uh, I had, Greg I Cox, had heard, he gets around that, musically. Yeah. That's great. <laughs> All right, let's take a quick little break from listening to car stuff um, and switch topics for a second to kind of, you know, cleanse our palate. Um, I want to talk about this podcast's inception problem. Uh-huh. Do you do you know what I'm referring to? I don't I don't. No. Okay. So as we've mentioned, just about every episode we go over and so we have to cut stuff out. So in the episode where we talked about Nick Lowe's album The Jesus of Cool, we had been over before, but not as nearly as bad as that episode. I had to cut out almost an hour's worth of content. So, um, (laughs) we were, we were unhinged that night. (laughs) And so there was a, uh, section that I, that we, that I had to cut out, uh, but I wanted to reference it. So we talked about it the next episode, which we had to cut out. So we talked about it the next episode, which we had to cut out. So now we're talking about it now. So we are talking about a section that we had to cut out where we're talking about a section that we had to cut out where we were talking about a section that we had to cut out. So yeah, that's some real like <laughs> podcast inception shit going on there. Yeah, yeah. So basically what it was, if you guys can remember that far back, um, I did not care for Nick Lowe's debut album, um, The Jesus of Cool. Right. And I think in the episode, it was, it was clear that I, I didn't care for it. But I had to cut out like a 20-minute rant where I just went off on how much I hated that album, mm. um, because there was there was much more important, interesting stuff to keep in. But there are there were several instances that were left in later on down the road where Rob kept referring to how much I hated that album, <laughs> and so I just feel I feel obligated to to make it clear that. Rob wasn't exaggerating. He wasn't like imagining my passionate dislike for that album. I just had to cut out the rant. So um I I just felt like that needed to be said. So so now that you've said it and now that it's out mm-hmm. there this bonus episode will probably never get aired or you'll have to cut it out which means we'll have to say something about it again (laughs) next episode just in case (laughs) well okay so now we have to release release this episode yeah okay (laughs) because if not now when okay you ready to jump back in on the the car solo albums yeah let's do it there's there's a there's there's some good mu- there is some good music in here someplace I've heard it yeah oh, yeah. yeah so uh, 1985 sees the uh, debut solo album um, of Elliot Easton 
uh, called Change No Change. Now, I'm sure you've noticed, Rob, this is the only album that we're going to listen to where I picked two cuts off of, mm-hmm. off to, to listen to. Uh, and the reason why I did that is this is, n- I don't really enjoy this album that much because it's just not the kind of music that I like. But I think that this is the most of all of the albums we're going to be talking about tonight. This is the most commendable one. Yeah, this I is agree. the one that I respect the most because he he is, there's some really nice, innovative stuff that he's doing. For, first of all, it becomes very, very clear what a powerhouse arranger mm-hmm. Elliot Easton is. And I'm sure that he doesn't get nearly enough credit for for making the cars song sound as great and dynamic as they as they do. Right. So I would not call the songs off of this album Change No Change like written by a, a superior songwriter. I think the songwriting is just fine. The lyrics are Really, he he doesn't have much of a talent for lyrics. They're not awful, but they're just really bland and forgettable. Um, but the arrange the musical arrangements are really. I mean, he is not sleepwalking through right. this album. Um, he doesn't have a great voice either. Uh, his his voice is eh, it's okay, and he's going for I I guess. What, what kind of style would you say um, this is? I, I'm kind of thinking like an early, like, John Cougar, like before he was yeah. Mellencamp. Yeah, or, I, I kind of wanted to say maybe even like an early Brian Adams. It's it's like, it's rock, but it's not hard. It's kind of a poppy rock. But it, at the same time, there's still kind of a, a moodiness and a, a darkness to it. Um, I, I don't know. I, I really like the two songs that I heard. Um, you could kind of tell that he comes out of like a new wave vibe, but, but he's trying to break out of it and he's, he's got like, I don't know. I don't know how to explain it, but there's some power behind it. I thought it was great. Okay. Well, let's listen to the first song, uh, called wearing down like a wheel. This, I, I will say this right now, this was probably the, my favorite song out of the playlist. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I enjoy the, the tempo. I enjoy the speed of the, the music. I enjoy the, the, the whole vibe about it. The energy was great. Um, you're right about his lyrics not being great, but I, I got more than a sense. I mean, my eyes were open up and I'm like, there are bands out there who, who there is one particular member and you can tell that that particular member 
does so much to contribute to the sound of that band. And I think Elliot Easton was definitely that guy. Um, mm-hmm. be- because mm-hmm. he, he had the sound. I mean, and he's just a talent. The man, the man plays guitar amazingly. I mean, he's so good. Yeah, yeah. Well, I kind of figured that you would like this, mu- the Elliot Easton's music more than I would because uh-huh. it's just not in my wheelhouse. Um, but so I, I had this album when I was a kid too. So uh-huh. I had Rick Ocasek's first album and I had this album. And I don't think I've ever mentioned this Uh up until now. So I, I think it's it's about time to delve into the bargain bin at Kmart. Do you remember that as yeah. a kid? Oh yeah. Big cardboard yeah. big cardboard pit where yeah. the, all kinds of random yeah. things were thrown in it, right? Yeah, so so when I was a kid, I mean up up until like maybe the middle of high school when I actually had a car and had a job buying music was not really much of a possibility because you know it was an hour's drive mm-hmm. to the nearest town yeah. and i didn't have a i didn't have any money you know i got a couple of bucks a week for my allowance and but every once in a while my mother would you know take us into town when we were you know doing doing all the shopping and and we would go to Kmart and Kmart would have those bargain bins at the end of the aisle and quite often it would be three cassettes for ten dollars right. and 90% of that the stuff was just garbage you know just just at, at like stuff you'd never heard of like polka <laughs> polka compilations and, and but every once in a while you would find something sort of intriguing and so like the the first Rick Ocasek album and the Elliot Easton uh, album well they were cassettes um I got I found actually I found them together, so I had to scrounge up a third one, and I happened to have ten dollars. Um, and so when I was really young, when I was in like grammar school and middle school, probably more than half of my music collection was stuff that I found in these Kmart bargain bins. Every once in a while, I would find like a real find. Like mm-hmm. once I found. David Bowie's The Rise and Fall of Ziggy Stardust. Nice. Which was like blew my mind. Core, no so kidding. So I I had some some cool little finds, but back in the day that was that was how you got music was yeah. you just kind of stumbled across it and you happened to have a couple of bucks in your pocket. Now I have so. a couple I have a couple of bargain bin finds from Kmart that that stick to my mind. <laughs> One of them, yeah? I think. One of them, I think, was like a a ten pack of Maxell cassette tapes, blank tapes. Oh yeah, yeah. Three of them worked. Um, oh. <laughs> and and then there was one that was a, a Chewbacca action figure from Star Wars. Um, and oh, his, nice. Yeah, except he had apparently been broken, and they glued his arm back on, so his arm didn't, his left arm didn't move. <laughs> Um, but but those are my Kmart bargain uh, bin <laughs> finds. I wasn't as lucky nice, as you. Nice. Yeah, yeah. Um, so 
we are going to listen to a second song off of this album just because I think that this is the worthiest of the albums. Um, and I figured that you would you would kind of dig it. Um, so let's listen to a song called Fight My Way to Love. Nice. One other thing that we should we should cover over real quickly about this album before we move on was that most, if not all, of the songs were co-written um, by Elliot Easton and Joel Shears. Mm-hmm. Are you familiar with Joel Shears? Not that I know of. Okay, well, we we are going to um, talk about him sometime soon uh, once uh, Jewel Shears and the Polar Bears release their first album. Nice. Doesn't happen in 78, but sometime in the next couple of seasons where um, Jewel Shears is going to start popping up. And he is, he is a pretty well-respected songwriter. So I'm sure that that had a lot to do, um, his collaboration had a lot to do with the quality of this album. <clears throat> so that was Elliot Easton's Change No Change. Um, that was his only solo album. Apparently it did not do very well. Well, I just think it's, I think it's interesting because uh, it, it really was, I think, probably the better like you said, the, the better arranged album of, of all of them. Uh, so, I don't know. It becomes really clear that it is not easy to be, not just anybody can be the lead singer. I mean, you, you really have to have some sort of innate charisma, yeah. which, which Rick Ocasek definitely has. And I would say everyone else in the cars really doesn't as far as charisma. I'm talking about as far as a vocalist goes. Right. So um, I think Elliot Easton's voice is is fine. I mean, there's nothing technical wrong, technically wrong with it. It's just, um, you know, it's just not very interesting. You know, he's he's you don't get a real sense of a character or a personality it's not particularly engaging 
1986, Rick Ocasek releases his second album uh, called This Side of Paradise. This is by far the most successful album, solo album done by a member of the Cars. Um, wasn't like a huge hit, but it had a hit single that hit number one here in the States called Emotions in Motion. Um, this is almost a Cars album in the sense that uh, all but one of the Cars members make an appearance on this album. Greg, Greg Hawks, of course, is all over this. I think he plays keyboards in just about every song. Um, Benjamin Orr does back backing vocals on three songs and Elliot Easton um, does guitar on one. So the drummer <laughs> does not make an appearance, but everyone else does. Um, this, I do not care. I, I had this album as well. Um, and it is very, very bland. Um, the probably the most dynamic and um, uh, high energy song is the song that I picked to to listen to tonight, called "Coming Up You." No, called "Coming for You." Coming for you. Yes. Yeah. I really like this song too. Complete outlier yeah. for this album. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, this is by far the most aggressive, um, aggro, interesting song off of the album. And that's the that's the energy I like about it is that it's aggressive. Yeah. Because as you said, yeah. there's a blandness that he carries through his. You know, the thing too is that it to me. I almost don't even think about the rest of the band. All I can think about is the fact that that's Rick Ocasek singing. Um, the band seems kind of mm -hmm. hollow through most of this, you know, through most of his mm -hmm. uh, his albums. Um, but this yeah. had some had some juice behind it. I also felt like it was kind of dark, yeah. you know. Oh, oh, it is dark. Yeah, yeah, it is. It is quite dark, um, uh, and that's what I like about it. Same. But uh, so I, I, I mentioned that Emotions in Motion, that, that was the big hit off of it. The, the, those, those are two polar opposite songs. 
So if you if you're familiar with Emotions in Motion and you like that song, you might actually like the rest of the album. But if you really like the song that we just heard, um, I think you're going to be disappointed uh, when you go and listen to the rest of the album. Well, I, I'm wondering why they even bothered to go off and do solo projects because uh, I saw a documentary where one of the band members and I want to say that it was uh, that it was Benjamin Orr where he talked about how oh yeah we just all kind of went off and did our own our own thing you know for a little while and you know we off uh, when they when they they split up it's like you're you're gonna go do solo stuff is that why you guys are parting because you have albums here where they're all playing on the album um, or at least intermittently, you know, they're not all playing together necessarily. Um, but they had to have felt like it wasn't really cohesive. Like it really wasn't held together like a Cars album. You know, I, I just, I don't get that. Well, I, I think they didn't, I mean, there's, you you know, when you start on a project, you have the highest of hopes, of course, and then of what you end up with is a whole, whole different thing. And so you hope springs eternal. And yeah. I, I certainly don't begrudge any of any of these guys for for, do, for doing solo yeah. stuff. It's no, just, sure. you know, uh, the old saying about lightning in a bottle. I think I think the cars were were lightning in a bottle, and um, you know, you can't. You can't really replicate that very easily. That's a um, good point. So, um, okay, so let's take a little break from talking about the cars, and um, let's talk about Kate Bush for uh, a little bit. Yeah. We had a, a deep dive on Kate Bush a little while ago. Um, and that is, so far, that is one of our most um, downloaded episodes. A lot of, a lot of Kate Bush lovers out there. And, and uh, I'm, I'm happy, happy, because I was, I was kind of, I mean, I think we got, I, I think we got some feedback before we did the Kate Bush episode, like, oh, Kate Bush. I don't really like Kate Bush. Uh, well, I think you were kind of like that. That, that was were, me. Yeah, were... that was... <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. That was me. I've, I've never been really um, excited to listen to Kate Bush, to be honest. But yeah, yeah, but... and I know that I know there's a a lot of a lot of people out there that are kind of like that as yeah. well. Uh, so it's gratifying to see to see that that is um, getting a whole lot of downloads. Um, and it's funny because, you know, a couple of uh, months ago, we had, um, we swore in our new president and vice president. And of course, you know, as we're, as I was watching the, the coverage of, of Kamala Harris being sworn in, it was, uh, it was like, oh, she's the first this and the first that in the, you know, the <laughs> To be vice president, da da da, and, I, and all I could think of is uh, what kept running through my head was, "Wow, she's the Kate Bush of American politics." 
Yeah, see what Rolling Stone says about Kamala Harris. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know that that episode was a real eye opener for me because um, yeah. I, you know, I wasn't crazy about it. I wasn't really enthusiastic about it. And then I'm listening to all this music, and I definitely got into it. I definitely got into it. And uh, I, I mean, I I give her props, man. I, I really appreciate and really enjoyed the music I was listening to. So yeah. Well, um, another reason why I brought this up, uh, brought up Kate Bush, was because I'm realizing um, that I'm getting, I'm developing a bit of a bad reputation, I think, <laughs> as <are>. a hater, <laughs> yeah. as a hater of cover songs. This is true. And so I just um, <laughs> I want to clarify this a little bit. Um to make it really clear how I feel about cover songs. Because I like a good cover song. I, I kind of love tribute albums. Yeah. Um, and I never really thought about it. But, you know, once it came to my attention that I'm getting a bad reputation for, for talking smack about cover songs. Um, <laughs> and I, re I really started analyzing it. Uh, this is kind of where... Uh, what I've come to terms with is, well, there's, there's two different elements. Let's talk about the elements of a good cover song, just okay. as a standalone song. Yeah. It's a song that, and this is my definition of a good cover song, um, besides the fact that it's done competently, music, musicianship-wise, it has to, I mean, doing a good cover song is a bit of a tricky business because you, you have to bring a new slant to it. You, there, there has to be a reason for you to do yeah. it Yeah. because otherwise, why are they going to listen to your version and not just go back and listen to the original, right? So you, you, you have to have a fresh angle on it, a, a, some sort of a new take. Um, but at the same time, you also have to be respectful of the original songwriting. Mm -hmm. So I hate cover songs where it's just a goof. I mean, unless you're weir Weird Al Yankovic or something, um, you know, if it's just sort of like, oh, le uh, we get, we got to put one more song on the album. So let's just do a cover of this song because we do it live. Yeah. And I, I think David Bowie is one of the worst perpetrators of this. Those those stick out. It needs yeah. to be respectful but not slavish to the original. Uh -huh. um, and so s some of the most obvious examples of a really, really good cover of a song are um, Marvin Gaye's Heard It Through the Grapevine. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. And uh, Aretha Franklin's Respect. Yeah. Now, are those the two mo most obvious examples? Yes, of course, the two most obvious examples. But I bring them up because everybody knows mm -hmm. those songs, right? And those are those are two instances where I personally believe that the the cover trumps the original but um well there's all, all along the watchtower as well 
Jimi Hendrix. Uh-huh. uh-huh. I, I, I tend to like um, his version a lot better than Bob Dylan. So. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so that's one element. That, it, that it's, it's kind of a tightrope, you know, yeah. doing a good cover song. So, uh, but, but the other element I realized is if you're doing a cover song and it's on a, uh, a studio album uh, along with your original work, that's even more dangerous as far as I'm concerned. Oh, interesting. Because it, it can't. It, it, it has to fit in with the other stuff. It can't stick out like a sore thumb, right? It's got to make sense. It's, it can't be jarring. And David Bowie is awful about that. I mean, particularly, uh, he, he had a run of albums in the early 70s where it's like the lowest point is the cover song. Yeah. You know, I mean, even the rise and fall of Ziggy Stardust... The um, my, by far my least favorite song off of that album is the one cover song. Yeah, I I, I think you have a a much much better chance of of doing a su- successful cover if it's not part of a studio album. If it's like a B side or a single. Which brings us back to Kate Bush, because on our Facebook page uh, about a week ago, um, your buddy Tony drew my attention to um, a cover that Kate Bush did in like early 90s, I think, of of, uh, Elton John's Rocket Man. And it is a perfect example of how to do a cover song yeah. right. I mean, she's definitely got her own own take on it, um, but it is still very respectful of the of the original songwriting. And it was a single, you know. It wasn't. She didn't have to like jam it into one of her studio albums in which case it probably would have stuck out like a sore thumb it was straightforward enough to sound like rocket man and yet it was kate bush enough to to be able to put it on any of her albums and, and sound at home you know i mean it really and like she made it her own i mean wow well i i question whether or not it would have it would have uh, fit on um, the sensual world, which was yeah, the okay. album that that she, that she released around that time. Yeah. Maybe the Red Shoes, um, just because that album was so disjointed, anyways. That uh, you know, what's what's one more odd elbow sticking out? Um, I think it could have gone on albums I, earlier than that, though. Uh huh. And uh, I just I, re- I really kind of love that song because she she is that. Have you seen the video? You've seen the video, right? I did not watch the video. Pro- no. Oh, it's probably the most playful I have ever seen Kate Bush. Nice. I mean, she's 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 really for Kate Bush. She's very upbeat and and almost cheeky. It's really quite fun. 
So, anything more you want to say about yeah, that before well, we jump back in? Kind of, yeah. Um, y- you brought up Tony, and I, I think this is a good time to basically say that we love that kind of interaction from our listeners. I mean, Tony's a guy who I have known since uh, junior high school, and ever since I've known him, he has uh, he eats, drinks, sleeps, breathes, and sweats music. Um and so he's he's that kind of guy. He he knows everything about everything about music, or at least he seems to. Um, and that was always my impre- pers- uh, my impression of him. But it's really cool when a listener interacts in that way, and it's like you know they're they're pushing our buttons and challenging us and giving us something that that they know we're gonna we're gonna jump on. Um, I think he made the comment that I might appreciate the cover a little more than you, and that's where the the whole um, the whole reputation thing came came up. You know that that you be, you became somebody who doesn't like like covers, but but yeah, I had a feeling that you were just going to love this song. But anyway, I want to thank Tony and and any of our other listeners for for chiming in and and you know interacting with us like that. We we really enjoy it. Yeah, I I am a lover of tribute albums. I mean, there's good ones and and there's bad ones, but True. um I I I never really thought about it before, but yeah, I think I'm much more generous with cover songs when they're not you know, when they don't pop up right in the middle of a studio album of original content. Okay, back to the cars gang um so where did we leave off we um we talked about this side of paradise which was 1986 so that means we get to talk about benjamin orr's only solo album called the lace and boy this is a rough one uh um I this is by far my least favorite album of um you know, from from the Cars gang, it is so cheesy. It is big Velveeta on Velveeta on American cheese cheesy, um, in a very 1986 sort of way. Um, uh, this is this is a rough one um, yeah, for yeah, for totally. me to get through. <laughs> uh, he had um, uh, a a. St- kind of a sizable hit called Stay the Night. Um, those of you who were around back then, may um, that might ring up a, a distant bell for you. Um, what did you think about the song that I put on the playlist? Um, I, it was, it was kind of rough for me. Um, I'll admit that. I, I, cheese is a very appropriate word. Um, and yeah, I, I yeah. ended up, I ended up listening, I was listening to that song in my car on my way to work one, uh, one day. And then I had to, when I got to work, I sat in the car for a little while listening to it and finally was feeling frustration. And I'm like, nah, I can't, I can't sit here and listen to this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so. Well, the bad news is that that is one of the least cheesy songs oh, off of the album. So it or. just goes all all just goes downhill from there. So um, 
I, I'm sure this album has its fans. I'm just not sure what he was going for. Well, actually, let's listen to the song and then we can speculate about about where what he was shooting for on this album. Rain keeps pounding without a break From beating with the hollow I've spent a fair amount of time trying to wrap my brain around what the strategy was, you know, for for the direction he was going on this album. And I'm thinking like maybe he was he he was looking at like Rick Springfield and yeah. Corey Hart, maybe oh, yeah. maybe even like Mr. Mister and thinking that he could get in that space. Yeah. Um obviously, well, I mean it was he he had one moderate hit, so it wasn't um, an abject failure. But this was his only only solo album, so it it obviously didn't didn't go the direction that that he was hoping. Um, but this is this album is the low point of the of the solo stuff for me. And it's, for it's sure. quite unfortunate too, because here's a guy who was. Um, again, an accomplished musician. He's he was a, a lead, you know. He did lead vocals for the Cars. Um, yeah. And and you'd think that there's that he'd have more going for him, or at least he would be in a better position to to come out with a really great album. And uh, and yeah, it. I don't know. It just it felt a little canned to me. I don't know if that that word makes sense to you. It just felt. Uh, I don't know. It just felt weird. It felt kind of hollow and, and point, well, pointless. Yeah. I don't, I don't want to say pointless because I I have nothing but respect for all the members of the cars. But, uh, you know, I, I just don't think there was enough put into it, maybe. You know. Well, I I have a slightly different take. I think that of of all of the solo projects... This this was the one where it was like he was really swinging for the fences. You know, he was like I want to be a big pop star. And and it just it it feel it just feels a little desperate to me. Um and you know, so it was a big swing and a big mess and those things happen and and uh you know, we all look back on stuff that we've attempted in the past and gone, Oh, I probably would have done that differently. And yeah. I, I have no idea how Benjamin Orr felt about this album, you know, 10 or 20 years down, 
down the road, but it is, um, it's really dated. It's sort of like if, if somebody came to me and said, show me an example of bad 80s pop, this, this would be a good candidate for me. Well, at least it's got something going for it. <laughs> Rico Kasich uh, releases um, Fireball Zone in 1991. The um, the single off of this was is a song called Rockaway, which didn't really chart, but I actually remember hearing it on the radio just a little bit. Um, so it was released as a single, and at least the local radio station that I listened to at the time was playing it a little bit. Um, and so with, with Ricky O with his solo stuff, if you're a fan of the cars and you're wondering like, where do I start with Rick Ocasek's solo albums? I would say this, I would say if you love the cars for the first two albums, you're shit out of luck because (laughs) nothing that any of these artists do um, sound anything like the first two Cars albums. Um, But if you really like the Cars, like Shake It Up, then Rick Ocasek's first album, um, Beatitude, is probably a good starting place. And if you really like the car's Heartbeat City, then this album, Fireball Zone, might be the best place to start. So let's take a listen to the single, the not-so-much-a-hit single off of this album called uh, Rockaway. You do your cover too many times felt like I felt like this song was kind of fun to listen to um, however I felt like it was so not the cars and I think that might be maybe that's a maybe that's a problem with me you know is is I kept expecting the cars I kept wanting to mm, mm-hmm. to I kept wanting to find the cars in these solo albums and and it was so not the cars to me um, at least not my favorite cars well, now. If it was close enough to Heartbeat City, well, yeah. Heartbeat City's the middle of the road for me. So, 
Mm -hmm. Well, the line I draw from this album back to Heartbeat City is that this is kind of the most bombastic solo album that he does. Uh, yeah. That's so true. you and you can kind of hear it in this. It's kind of like big dumb pop rock. Yeah, totally. You know, which is definitely how I would describe um Heartbeat City. Yeah. Okay. Um Rick Ocasek turns in his next album to the to the label and the label goes, "No way," because it's like a kind of a spoken word poetry album with music and so what happens is they they pick seven of those songs and set them aside and then send uh ricky o back into the studio to record seven more and in the states they release an album called quick change world but they take the original album that he submitted called Negative Theater and they released it in Europe. Um, so I don't think that if you were in the U.S., you could get your hands on Negative Theater. And if you were in Europe, you could, I don't think you could get a hold of Quick Change World. So. Um, ni- neither album did particularly well, um, but the song that I picked is by far my favorite song off of this album. Uh, it's called Come Alive, and this is probably the most social and political I've ever noticed Rick Ocasek being it's not completely overt but um but it's it's kind of an anomaly there there's enough you know there's enough mentions of generals and politicians for it to be clear that this isn't just a big dumb right. uh love love song uh plus where else do you get to hear rick ocasek talking about jacking off into the wind of course Yeah, I, I I was pretty. It was pretty clear in my brain which songs you were gonna yeah. like and which songs you weren't <laughs> off of this playlist for Boy, sure. Boy, I am Captain Obvious. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is. The, I mean, with this bunch of albums, mm-hmm. it was 
it, it was pretty clear cut. I mean, I, I think that when it when it comes to this stuff, your taste and my taste run fairly parallel to each other. And, and you know me pretty well. Yeah, I I yeah. really I really enjoyed the energy behind uh, behind the song. You know, not even not just the content. Although I think it was pretty bold, and I I think yeah. that's pretty cool. Um, yeah, it's, it's probably really the. I'm I'm sorry, uh, I cut you off there. What, what, just, what I, were you saying? I just think the energy was great. Yeah, yeah, was probably the raunchiest Rick Ocasek has ever gotten. Yeah, for sure. Which is notable. Um, you know, you you put this song up to just about any song by Iggy Pop, and it's a it's a polite little schoolgirl, but for Rick Ocasek, you know, it's pretty, um, it's you know, deal. it's, it's, yeah. In 1997, he releases Troubleizing. Um, this was produced by Rick Ocasek and Billy Corrigan of Smashing Pumpkins. Interesting. So go figure. Yeah. Um, and the song that I, that we're going to hear was written by um, Billy Corgan, and this is this is probably my favorite Rick Ocasek song from his solo stuff, uh, called Asia Minor. How how are you feeling about this? Um, yeah, I thought it was pretty cool. Uh, it, it to me, it it even felt like kind of new wave what year did this come out yeah i mean it, it, uh 97 yeah 97 felt... and not written by by rick okasek it, it it almost seems like billy corrigan was going i'm gonna write rick okasek a new wave song exactly exactly no i i enjoyed it and uh i didn't actually i didn't look up the song i didn't look up uh, to, to see any of the background so i didn't know billy corrigan actually wrote it um but yeah, it's a cool, it's a cool little ditty. <laughs> Give me a secret. Last album that we're going to discuss tonight, and I don't have a song from this album, um, just because I, I ran a little short on time. So I've only listened to this album a couple of times and nothing jumped out at me at all. I, I find this um, a pretty bland album, but it was released in 2005. Obviously, it was Rick Ocasek's final album called Next Day. That's next, 
N-E-X-T-E-R-D-A-Y. Nexterday. And um, Nexterday, yeah. And I don't have anything to say about this album. I, 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 For the most part, most of his albums, or really all of his albums, sound pretty similar. You know, the... Yeah. The difference from album to album is much slighter with his solo stuff than it is with the car stuff, which is, you know, pretty distinct. So, ha- have you ever heard uh, a Rick Ocasek solo album all the way through? Never, never. Um, uh-huh. I, I mean, like I said before, I'd heard him. I knew that he was doing solo stuff. Oh, he. Mm-hmm. There, there was a a compilation of Disney songs, and he did Zippity Doodah, and you know, I mean, I remember that. Yeah, so I I knew he was doing solo work, but I'd never actually heard uh, an entire album all the way through. Yeah, well, I'm pretty sure that I owned every one of his solo albums at one point. Go get her, yeah. <laughs> So there it is, Rob. Now you know what was going on <laughs> with the members of the Cars when they weren't making music as the Cars. Of yeah. course, we talked about the new Cars at one point. I I figured we didn't we didn't really need to go into that yeah, again. Yeah. Um, so I think we're getting ready to wrap this episode up should be a nice short one i think um we have another like the real bonus episode uh, coming (laughs) and i don't i don't know if we're gonna if we're gonna release this before or after we release the other one so either either everyone's already heard it or People don't have no idea what it's about, so we're not going to spoil the surprise. But very excited about it. Yeah, yeah. For uh, sure. And then, and, yeah, yeah. And then, of course, uh, beginning in May, we're going to jump back into our regular routine. So we're going to talk about the albums released in June and July of 1978. I have already. I just couldn't wait. I've been. Uh, I've been reading ahead, so to speak, uh-huh. and um, it's gonna be an it's gonna be an interesting episode. Um, it is it's gonna be pretty hot and cold for me. There's oh, there's okay. some stuff that I'm super excited about, and some stuff that I find kind of unbearable. Yeah. Okay. So sound familiar? <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. Uh, sounds on par. Um, <laughs> yeah. Before we go, if I might, and and we've already talked about how, um, you know, with the whole Nick Lowe thing, this episode may not even be aired. Who knows? But <laughs> so that we may have to cover that again at some point. But but anyway, if uh, if it does get aired, I do want to talk about um, something that happened to me the other day that I thought was kind of cool. And and again, it's 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 due to one of our listeners who's a regular listener and I want to I want to thank him. Uh I was at my day job when a lady came up to me and she said, "Are you one of the guys with the music podcast?" And I said, "Yes." Real suspicious cuz I don't think I've actually mentioned where I work, but I might have. Um 
And she said, by the way, my son listens to your podcast all the time, and he tells all of his friends about it. He absolutely loves you guys. And well, she, she probably recognized your voice. That could very well be. I said, uh, well, mm-hmm. where is he? What, who is he? What's his name? And she says, his name is Michael from San Jose, and, and he loves you guys' podcast. And I'm like, well, cool. Nice. Tell Michael thank you. And I actually have seen him in our uh, social media feed. So he's definitely a regular listener and a regular, uh, you know, he 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 uh, is in the feed as far as contributing to the, the threads and stuff. So I want to thank Michael from San Jose. Yeah. Um, for, and, and, and Michael, your mom says hi. Um, <laughs> <laughs> call her. You don't call, call her enough, call Michael. Call your mom, Michael. Good grief. <laughs> but uh, she was just... She was so sweet and so nice. So if uh, if other people want to jump into the action, um, social media wise, yeah. how how do they go about doing that? Oh, yeah. Rob, you can find us on Instagram, uh, deep dives and deep cuts on Instagram. You can find us on Facebook. Um, you can find us on Twitter. Um, and you can even email us if you want to email us, and it's deepdives.deepcuts at gmail.com. Um, we're all over the place. So get in touch with us. Uh, turn your mom on to us. Um, you know, <laughs> the, the stuff, you know, just, yeah, we're there. We're all over. If you haven't already gone to Apple Podcasts and left a review, for this podcast, um, it is time. It's time to do it. You just need to set aside a couple of minutes, go write a sentence or two. Cannot tell you how much it helps as far as increasing our visibility so that other people can connect with our podcast and then tell their mothers about it. That's right. <laughs> All right. So one last thing before we go, you know how at the top of the show, um, I say the name of the podcast, right? Every time I've got a new goal, which is from here on out, every time I'm going to find a new way to say it. So that's that's going to be the little Easter egg. This is this is going to be my equivalent of, um, you know, Homer Simpson running to the couch. <laughs> All right. Gag. So something to look forward to. Fantastic. So let's go out on that Kate Bush cover that we were discussing um, of uh, Elton John's Rocket Man. Unfortunately, not available on Spotify, so you will not be able to hear it on the playlist. But I found it on YouTube. You can just go to YouTube. It's really easy to find. Um, So you can listen to the entire song. Yes, her her being very, very cheeky and quirky and um, a little manic. <laughs> her her energy is is a little manic in it, but in a in a very uh, a very charming sort of disarming way. So um, quite quite a delight to listen to and to view. Well, Rob. 
Um, how, how is your, how is your month off going? You know, for a month off, we're, we're doing, we're recording a lot of stuff. Yeah. We're still doing the same. Um, it's, it's, I think it'll be good. (laughs) Yeah. All right, everybody. We will talk to you when we talk to you, uh, at their very latest, it'll be the first Sunday of May, but it'll probably be sooner than that. You never know. Yeah. All right. See ya. Five days away.